0: Have you struggled to get everything done? Have you looked for every trick to be more productive? How much do you really understand about how productivity really works? This is Crushing the Clock, a podcast where we explore the nature of productivity so you can actually get back your time and energy, making a difference in both your personal and professional lives. People we'll continue rushing to the finish line as there are so many things to be able to get done with so little time. But the question is, is there really no time at all? Or are we just focusing more of our energy on less important things? Mark Sievercrop, he's a blogger, a coach, and he's also the co-founder and former director of happenings at Happen to Your Career. He's also a personal friend of mine, and he was the first co-host of the 24 Faithful podcast. Specifically, He joins the podcast here today to be able to share more about the Pareto Principle or the 80-20 Principle and how we can be able to apply this principle to almost every aspect of our lives to be able to achieve the highest efficiency that we can. And so I'm looking forward to being able to have this conversation with him and share this conversation with you to be able to really evaluate in our lives what we can be able to do to be able to be able to find our 20, our 20% that's gonna help us be able to accomplish the greatest things in our life. When did you discover the Pareto Principle in your life? If you can think back that far.
1: I think the first time I heard about it was when I came across, and I don't even remember how I came across it, but I came across uh, Perry Marshall's book 80/20 Sales and Marketing. And in there, he talks about the 80/20 principle or the Pareto principle, and it blew my mind. Like just this idea—I'm sure we'll get into it today—but the idea that essentially you can apply this 80/20 principle to literally anything, and it almost always is accurate. I'm trying to think. The other day, we were talking about something. Somebody was like, "I don't know, like how can we get more people to sign up to feed the missionaries?" And I'm sitting there thinking, it's always going to be 80-20. It's always going to be the same 10 people. It's always going to be, you know, 20% of the people that come to church are the ones that are going to feed the missionaries or are going to volunteer for things. And if you look in your life, that's always the case. And so that was probably eight years ago now that I read that book. And since then, it's kind of been off and on. I've read that book several times. I've read other books. Perry Marshall's book was based on or had been influenced by Richard Koch's book, which was The 80-20 Principle. And so I went back and I listened to that one listened to the audiobook and yeah just really just the foundational idea that not everything you do is equal and not everything you do is of equal value because I think we have this idea that everything we do is equal and you know we just need to get more done and we'll get more done so
0: Yeah I asked you the question so I was trying to think of when the first time I came across it it was probably about the same time frame Yeah somewhere around 2013 2014 so in that neighborhood that's when I really started ramping up like my personal development and getting uh-huh. into the books, listening to the podcasts and all that. And so I was introduced to that. It probably Dan Miller was probably the first where I first started hearing the principal stated there. But then both of us, you and I, both have worked with Scott Barlow It happened Mm -hmm. to your career. And I think it's one of their values. I can't remember the exact placement of it, but one of the values is give Pareto a hug. And so this 80 20 principle and like taking it to the next degree. And you kind of allude to some of this as well to where it's like not just the 20%, but the 20% of the 20%, which is 4%. So basically focusing in what is that 4% of things that's going to be like the biggest hitter Mm -hmm. of everything. And so I know that you alluded to some of this in your book. And so what are some examples that you've seen of that?
1: Yeah, no, totally. And by the way, I have to say this because in my book, Scott actually wrote a blurb for me, which was very nice of him. And he said that I introduced him to the principal and it's literally changed his life and his business. So I introduced him and I think it was, I think I sent him Perry Marshall's book was how uh, we were in a mastermind at that time together. And I think we, I sent everybody in the mastermind a copy of the book because I just loved it. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the book is called Find Your 20. And really what it comes down to is exactly what you said. Like you can know the 80-20 principle, you can know that some things create more results than others, but unless you actually find those 20% and actually look for them, you miss out on the idea, you miss out on the process. So I think, you know, if I'm thinking back to, you know, when I was, you know, working mornings before I went to my job, you know, trying to start my business, trying to start doing the things I'm doing now, it's really the idea of if you only have a certain amount of time, what would you do? What's most valuable? You know, another way to look at it is, you know, Zig Ziglar always talked about the day before vacation. And I think we've all had that experience where, you know, the day before you go on vacation, it's like, you get a million things done at work or with your side hustle or your job, whatever it is, like you get a million things done because you have to, like the plane's leaving, the family's ready. You know, in my case, it's usually my wife's mad at me because I haven't packed. I haven't got everything ready. She's getting all the kids (laughs) ready. And it's interesting how when we condense time, we're able to get so much more done. It also goes into uh, Parkinson's law, you know, work expands to the amount of time allotted to do it. And so the idea with the 80, 20 principle or, or finding your 20 is, Okay, essentially, if we look at 20%, you could, in theory work one day a week and get like 80% of the results that you typically do in one day a week because that's 20% of your week and 80% of your results are gonna come from those 20%. Now, the key is how do you find those 20%? How do you work through that process of what's most important? And one of the things I talk about in the book is when it comes to either your products or services or the things that you're doing, the tasks that you're doing, it's the things that most directly and proportionately contribute to bottom line revenue. That contribute to sales because we're in business, we're doing business. So it's okay. What are the things that are going to make the biggest difference? Because let's be honest, in our day, we do a lot of things that really have no value when it comes to actually selling something or actually serving a client. And the key is looking at those things. It's not that you don't do all those other things. I mean there's other things I have to do. I mean, it doesn't directly impact my bottom line to get my accountant my numbers every month. However, that's important and I still have to do it. But the key is, do I prioritize those 20% things? Do I prioritize those? Because if I don't, and I don't have that revenue coming in and there's no numbers to send to the accountant, you know, everything else kind of is important and it contributes, but Mm -hmm. it's not nearly as important. So it's that idea of not only knowing it, but then finding what those 20% things are.
0: Yeah, it's kind of also combining what you were describing there. So emphasizing on the 20%, but then there might be like those things that you're talking about sending the numbers to the accountant or whatever that doesn't fall into the 20%, but it's important. But if you're focusing on the 20%, because of how important the other one is, you're going to find time to get that done anyway. Yeah. Because of the other principle that you mentioned there about Parkinson's law. So they both work together in this. So when Mm -hmm. you focus on that 20% and put that emphasis into that, then the other things that are important, you're still going to find time to get those done. Mm -hmm. So, but of course, I mean, as intentional as you can be, the better, but those things are going to find its way in to be able to get done anyway. So Mm -hmm. I really think that's interesting.
1: It's that analogy. I think Stephen Covey was one of the ones that made it famous of, you know, putting the rocks in the jar first and then the gravel and then the sand, like it's that same idea of if you don't do the important things at first you run out of time and you don't get to them. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us find ourselves doing that because we we're not intentional with our time. So we spend, you know, too much time like surfing Facebook or rearranging our office space or whatever it is and those things, you know, can be valuable, but if we don't leave time for connecting with clients, serving our clients, doing those types of things, those won't happen. And it really is, it seems like, and I don't, I don't think it's always the case. Actually, I think a lot of times those 20% are things that you enjoy doing, especially if you've started a business and you love what you do. But there are times where those 20% things are the things that maybe are a little bit more scary or a little tougher. And, you know, we as humans are really good at saying, well, I'll do that later. And then later never comes because we would rather jump to checking our email and doing Mm. those types of things that are easy and make us feel like we're accomplishing something, but really don't contribute to the bottom line.
0: Yeah. Now I was just thinking about something else that you said earlier, and that is, it's one thing to know and understand the principle, but to actually take the time to find what the 20% is, which is like, The whole crux of your book and so you Uh talk about the principle but you're like okay now let's just get paper and pencil out here or or i guess you can do digital Uh google docs or whatever but it's like okay let's get these things out all the products services your tasks let's get those down and actually do the work of figuring out what contribution each one has Uh and the time that you spend with them so go ahead and explain the process that you work people through
1: Yeah, sure. It's interesting. One of the first things that I say to people in an email after they buy the book is, you know, it's funny because 20% of the people that look at the landing page buy the book. And then 20% of the people that buy the book actually read it. And then 20% of those 20% are the ones that actually do the work and actually put in the process. Because one of the things that I think is really interesting is we all think, and I deal with this with my clients all the time, they're afraid to give away information. They're afraid to tell people things. And I keep reminding them, it's like, look, if if you could just read a book and that was all you needed, we would all be rich. We would drive to Barnes and Noble, we would buy whatever book we wanted, we would read it and voila, you know, we would be rich, we would have amazing business, we'd have all these things, but it's not the case. Because most people never implement, they never actually find those things. So you're right. You know, throughout the book, I walk people through several different exercises where it's like, okay, let's actually look at this. So I break it down into two categories. The first is products and services, and the second is tasks, because those are the two main areas that generate the income in your business. You know, you have to have the products to sell and the things that you do each day. So. First thing we do is we sit down and we say, okay, you know, list out all of your products, every single thing you sell, you know, and if it's services, it could be different packages that you offer. And then once you do that, it's like, okay, what would 20% of that be? So I took my client Suzanne through this. And as you read the book, you'll hear Suzanne's story over and over again, but Suzanne listed out all of her products. She's in the homeschool industry. So they typically have a lot of products. Like there's like, you know, worksheets and, you know, calendars and all of these things. So she had, I think, I can't remember exactly what it was, but You know, twenty or thirty products, and so then we looked at it. We said, okay, what would what would twenty percent of that be? So I believe for her it ended up being four. It's like, okay, twenty percent of the number of products that she had would be four. So I said, okay, now look at that list, and I want you to identify the four products that generate the majority of your income. You know, what are the ones that have the most sales that generate the most revenue? Um, however you want to look at it, it really doesn't matter whether it's like gross sales or net revenue. Like, it probably ends up about the same. Well, with Suzanne, her Hers actually, ended up being more like ten ninety instead of or ninety ten instead of eighty twenty. It was two products that made up the vast majority. It was her curriculum. It was the main curriculum that she used. And so we looked at it and we said, okay, well, it's you know, see it and say it, which is her Spanish curriculum, and it's Spanish geniuses, which is her high school Spanish curriculum. And we said, okay, those are the main ones. So we identified that. And then I said, okay, let's list everything you do each day. Every single thing you do each day, each week, all your tasks. And she made a list and she, I think she said she stopped at the bottom of the page. And it's interesting because when I <laughs> did with this with Suzanne, this was like one of the first times I'd actually taught it in this format. And so I've learned a lot of things since then and from working with her. And one of the things that I learned was my idea was, okay, when I take people through this process, they're going to list all these tasks. They're going to feel this sense of overwhelm and we're going to help them whittle that list by doing this ad 20 process or find your 20 process. And the actually the opposite happened. I said, okay, Suzanne, you got this list written now. How do you feel? And she's like, I feel relieved. And I was like, wait, what, what, hold on, what? And it taught me another principle, which is in our minds, we feel like we have a million things we're doing. The minute you list them out, it all of a sudden seems doable. It seems like something you can do. And so that was kind of neat for me to see. But so Suzanne wrote out all of her tasks and I said, okay, what are the 20%? And so we identified that I think it was like six or eight tasks. I said, okay, we want to break these into categories. And we've seen, you know, Michael Hyatt talks about this and a lot of productivity people talk about this, you know, what can you delegate what can only you do? What can you just automate? And what can you get rid of? And so we identified and we basically put those in those four categories. And then I said, okay, six, eight tasks are your top 20. Identify, you know, star the ones that are the ones that most directly generate revenue. And the interesting thing is, most often, my experience has been that those things are also the things that only that person can do. You know, if you're the owner of the business, those things are the things that only you can do. And so she identified that it's like okay, a few of hers were I think writing curriculum. Only she could do that. You know, some of the teaching classes, you know, she teaches some classes only she could do that. And then there was a few that were kind of in a couple categories. You know, so it was like she said, well, the marketing, I could hire somebody but I don't know who it is right now, but I'd like to have a hand on that. So there's a few of those things and marketing generated most of the income, obviously, doing the sales, doing the writing the posts, you know, creating the sales, all those types of things. And so we identified those. And then at that point, this is where it gets really fun because now that you know what they are, we've done the, okay, I know what they are now let's apply it. And so we took her top products and we took her top tasks and I said, okay, put those on a list. And I said, I want you to identify what the next three steps are for each of those things. And so, you know, writing curriculum was like, okay, I need to, I need to, to create these flashcards. I need to do this for see it and say it. It was like, she's like, I need to create an intro video that shows people how it works. I need to create like a marketing video that people can see. So they understand the process. I need to make some updates that people have said, Hey, this is wrong, or there's a typo or whatever. And so we talked through those things. She made three listed three things. And it's interesting because one of the things I do with my clients is I always ask them, what's your next step? You know, Josh, you and I have had some of these conversations and I'm really, that's like my one thing. It's like, okay, at the end of the process, what is your next step? What's the one thing you're going to do? And so I know some people read this book and be like, but Mark, you had you asked them to do three for each one. Well, the process is meant to give you a look at a quarter. So three months. So one, you would have to go back and go back and go back. So we identify three for each and then we put them on a calendar. And then in the book, I talk about how there's two types of people in the world. The one type of person is you say, put it on a calendar and they break into hot sweats and their eyes glaze over and they start shaking. And they're like, I don't want a calendar, this is terrible, I don't like details. And the other type of person is the person that has their calendar, it's color coded, they've got cool stickers, they know exactly where it is, they sit down each day and they draw little pictures to show what they're gonna do and they love calendar. And in my experience, those two people are married to each other. (laughs) That's just the way it seems to always turn out. But either way, whether you love calendars or you hate them, whether you love details or you hate them, the fact of the matter is if you don't calendar it, it doesn't get done. But I I twist that a little bit because Suzanne's this way, I'm this way. I think a lot of people are this way. And it's like, well, if I schedule it for a certain day and then something comes up and then I don't do it and so on and so forth. So what I talk about in the book is calendar it for a week like identify the week that you're going to start it and the week you're going to finish it. And then when you get to that week, now you can say, okay, I'm going to block out some time Monday, or I'm going to block out some time Thursday afternoon to do it. So you're not locking yourself in three months out to I'm going to do this on February 15th or whatever. You're just saying the week of February, whatever, I'm going to start working on this and you list out each of those tasks. And then the process is really just making sure that you have the four things that I believe are most important as far as getting those things done. And those are focus, accountability, encouragement and recalibration. So those are the four things that if you don't have those, you can make all the plans in the world. It doesn't happen. You know, focus is a huge one. That's that's really what mm-hmm. Find Your 20 is all about is this idea of focusing on the most important things. So you have to have that focus and that's where going through this process helps. The next one is accountability. Like we need people to keep us accountable, whether it's posting it on social or an accountability buddy or a mastermind group or somebody you talk to each day or your spouse or business partner or whatever it is. We need somebody that knows that we're going to do something and asks us about it and make sure we do it. We just need that. That's human nature. The next one is encouragement. You know, things get hard. One of the things I talk about is the most motivated you're going to be to do these things is the minute that you write them down. And every minute after that, it gets harder and harder. So having somebody, and it may be that same person, it may be somebody else that can encourage you, that can support you, that can keep you motivated, can remind you why you're doing those things is massively important. And the final one is really just being willing to recalibrate, you know, being willing to look at a a goal at the end or the task that you had and say that's not gonna happen or I need to adjust that or something else came up that's more important that pushes that out of the 20% and something else in and being willing to adjust and do that. Because I think if we don't have that ability to adjust, it makes it really hard. And that's where you start to feel really bad and get down on yourself when you mess up or you don't do as well as you want because you feel like all is lost. So that's mm-hmm. really the process in a nutshell. It's a long eight minute nutshell or whatever, but yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the process of, of actually putting it into practice.
0: Yeah. That makes it really practical too. And one of the things that I thought of as you were going through that, when you get to that focus part and you were talking about like choosing the three steps and then it's like, Hey, what's the next step? What's the first thing that you're Mm going to do? And being able to focus on that in the book, you specifically mentioned as well. Like a lot of people kind of push back at that. It's like, well, there's more than one thing that's not enough. And Mm -hmm. in different arguments like that. But the point that this is, is just helping you be able to focus on something you can do as opposed to scattering your effort all over the place and you can actually get something accomplished. And that reminded me of something I hear Jeff would say all the time on the one thing podcast Mm -hmm. and he goes through and he uses a personal illustration that he went through himself with his business owners. And that is he was presenting like the top three things that they needed to focus on for the year or, or whatever time frame it was, and he started going through number one and started explaining it, and then asked for some questions. Then he moved on to number two, and they stopped him and said, "Okay, what about this on number one?" We basically got down to the end. He's like, "Do you have to do number three to be able to get number two done?" He's like, no. Do you have to do number two to get number one done? He's like, no. said, like, okay, then just focus on number one and you need to earn the right to be able to get to that second thing by completing mm-hmm. the first thing. And so that, that's what kind of went through my head as you were explaining it. So it's kind of a different angle, yeah. but kind of the same thing of having that focus to get it done. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, one of my favorite books is The One Thing, which I know that podcast is based on. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's the the idea of what, I can't remember exactly the question, but it's like, you know, what's the one thing that if, if you did it would make everything else either easier or not necessary. Mm-hmm. And that's really the 80-20 principle to the extreme. Like, yeah. I think it works really well, but you're right. I tell that story in the book and I had that experience again yesterday. I was coaching somebody and I kid you not, every single time I say, okay, what is your next step? And I emphasize step, no steps, <laughs> step. And everything, well, I'm going to do this and I need to do this and I'm going to do this and I need to do this. And it's like, okay, that's awesome. What's your next step? You can do the second one after you do the first one. And you know, that story, I love that story from Jeff. And it reminds me of a, an experience I heard with Zig Ziglar where he was talking to somebody and this person wanted to know all the process, and, but wouldn't do the first thing. Like, he's like, okay, I want you to get out of pen and paper right now. And I want you to start writing this down. And she's like, well, yeah, but what about this? Or what about this? And he stopped and he said, you know, it's been my experience that in 100% of the times, with no exception, if a person is not willing to take the first step, they will never take the second step. And it's kind of humorous, but it's true. You know, there's mm-hmm. a reason, and, you know, just like Jeff was talking about, there's a reason that number one is number one. And, you know, so many people get caught up in, well, yeah, but I got to get all these things done. I get all these things done. Well, that's kind of the problem. That's the issue that you're having is your focus is so scattered that you never get that one thing done. You know, I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, you know, how different would your life be if we met together twice a month? And at the end of the year, you had completed 24 of the things that you identified as being the most important things in your business. And they would like, well, it'd be, it'd be massive. Yeah, exactly. Because most people never complete the things that are most important. Because what happens is you identify, you meet with a coach or you meet with a mastermind or you sit down and plan and you say, okay, this is the most important thing I need to get done along with these four or five things. And then you leave and either you decide something tells you that it's not as important or you listen to a podcast or you read a book and your focus goes to whatever that thing was talking about. And now you jump to that thing. And then you know, two days later, you're talking to a friend and they say, oh, I'm doing this in my business. And you're like, oh, I should do that too. And then you jump to that thing. And now you come back a week later and you haven't accomplished anything. You've been really busy. You feel like you've been successful, but you never did that one thing that was most important in your business. You never did that next step. And that's really what um, this process is, is to help you do is to first identify what they are. I don't think most people know what the most important thing is because they have never sat down and asked, what is the thing that generates the revenue? Mm-hmm. What's the task that I do? What's the most important products? Because just like we talked about, you know, not everything we do is equal. Not every product you create is equal. Not every service you create is equal. Some of them generate more revenue. Some of them generate more revenue and take less time. Some of them generate a lot of revenue, but take a lot of time. And so it's identifying what those things are so that you can go into that process and make an informed decision on what that next step is.
0: I know that I've covered this on the podcast before, this topic of the eighty-twenty principle and being able to focus and things like that. And I know we're going to continue to do that, but it's just so important because we get so scattered. We get so mm-hmm. distracted with everything. Another book, since apparently we're making a book reading re- recommendation yeah, we'll make Um, um <laughs> Essentialism talks about very similar to this, and one of the diagrams that he uses is he has this little circle and then there's like a whole bunch of arrows coming off of it that are just little short arrows and then he's like kind of in quotes normal life it's like you're putting all this effort in all these different things and you're making just a little bit of progress in all of them and then he shows Mm -hmm. a circle with one really long arrow and that's it and it's like You put your effort, instead of all these different places, you put it in one place, you're able to actually accomplish something and Mm -hmm. get it done. But the problem is that we don't do that. We get ourselves distracted so easily. So I think that comes back to that one thing that you were talking about, and that is accountability. So how can we Mm -hmm. get that better accountability?
1: It really is what it comes down to. And it's interesting because I talk with my clients about this, and it's like, it's so weird. Most of us are very, very determined to keep our words to other people. You know, if we tell somebody else, if we tell a coworker, we tell a friend, we're going to do something, we're, we're determined to do that. And that's important to us. But for whatever reason we have no problem breaking commitments to ourselves and we justify immediately. Well, that really wasn't what I need to do, or this is more important, or I need to do this. And so that's why accountability is so important because for whatever reason, we are totally fine with breaking commitments to ourselves, but to other people, we're not. And so how do you find that accountability? I think it's really just looking for someone. I mean, there's a few different ways, you know? I mean, that's really, honestly, one of the main reasons that a lot of my clients come to me for coaching is to have somebody to bounce ideas off and to have somebody that will say, okay, what's your next step? And then come back two weeks later and say, did you do that next step? And I've had clients that have literally told me, you know, the only reason I got this done is because I knew you were gonna ask me about it. You know, I was doing it the day before, I was doing it the morning of our call because I knew when we got on this call, you were gonna ask me about it. And that's the power of accountability. So, I mean, you can hire a coach, you can uh, find a mastermind, whether that's paid or it's free. You know, I've been in several free masterminds where it's just a few of my friends and I say, hey, let's meet together twice a month or once a week. And let's just talk about what we're gonna do and, and hold each other accountable. Another great way is just to have one person, like a friend that is willing to talk to you. You know, I have I have a friend named John that John and I talk probably nearly daily, like we're texting. And it's not even like an official accountability thing. It's not like I approached John and said, John, I need you to keep me accountable. And every day, John's like, did you do what you told me you were going to do yesterday? But he just cares. We're friends. And so he'll say, hey, how's that going? Or hey, what's going on with this? And, And we just have these conversations. And so those are some of the ways. I think other ways you can do it is, you know, I mean, we see this with goal setting. You know, we're recording this at the beginning of January or the middle of January. And You know, you hear people say, you know, post your goals on social media. That's another way. That kind of accountability can help some people. Sometimes it doesn't. Think the amount of accountability you need depends on your amount of self-control. And I think all of us have probably less self-control than we care to admit. Um, And we all think we can do it ourselves and we all, most of us fail at doing ourselves. I know I do, but it's really just finding somebody that cares, you know, and and sometimes that's a spouse. Sometimes that's a coworker. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a group, you know, maybe it's a Facebook group you're in that you can be accountable to. You know, the reason that I finished this book, I can tell you that this book, it's not a super long book. I mean, this isn't like a 400 page book because, well, that would be weird. It's like, this is the most important things. And by the way, it takes you six years to read it. So, but I mean, I wrote the book in two weeks. And the reason that I was able to write it that quickly, there's editing afterwards and stuff, but like I wrote the frame of the book in two weeks or less, because I had accountability. I met with my mastermind group that I'm a part of that it's a paid mastermind. And I said, I'm going to have this book done when they say Black Friday because I'm going to sell it on Black Friday. I'm going to pre-sell it on Black Friday. And so I had to have it done because I needed to have the PDF version that I could sell and say, hey, the the physical version is coming. And that was the accountability. And part of that was, I'm like, I need to have writing time every single day. I need to have uninterrupted writing time. And so part of that was like, I took a picture every day of of my planner and I posted it in the Facebook group of this mastermind and said, here's the times that I'm working on this today. And it was amazing how that accountability made a huge, huge difference for me and you know, you mentioned Scott earlier. I was telling Scott about that in December when we were hanging out, and he's like, "Man, I've been writing my book forever." You know, that I'm blown away. I'm so impressed that you're able to do it so quickly. And I'm like, "It's because I created the accountability." You know, that's really what allowed me to do it.
0: So mm-hmm. I love this. So coming back to what you said, I mean, the eighty twenty principle applies to everything. And so mm-hmm. we've been talking a lot about like 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 business aspects and, and things like that and how we can be able to focus in our business and things like that. But it applies in our personal life and our families yeah. and different things like that. Because, I mean, I'm not going to take you a tour of my house because I know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a lot of the reason that it looks the way it does is because we focus on a lot of other things that don't really have to get done. Mm-hmm. And we don't take the few minutes it takes to actually pick something up or wipe something off or put something mm-hmm. away or whatever when just takes a little bit of practice a little bit of discipline and you can be able to create a habit about doing those type of things but the fact of the matter is you see it and again you get overwhelmed because you can mm-hmm. look at your living room and it's like oh my word this is like a war zone because we have kids mm-hmm. yeah. and then you look at it and it's like it just seems so overwhelming now maybe not actually like sit down and write a physical list but you actually start checking off some of the different things and you can kind of like, okay, maybe it's not as bad as what it seems because Mm -hmm. you start checking it off because you were talking about Suzanne, Mm -hmm. your client, that when she made that big, long list, filled up a piece of paper, it was actually relief because apparently she felt like it was even more. But when she wrote it out, it's like, okay, it's not as bad as I thought I Mm -hmm. was thinking about that. And I think one of the things is, is that when we keep it in our head, we keep going over and over and over and over. And so it just seems like a run on list that just keeps going and going and going, as opposed to what's actually happening is we have this little list and our brain just keeps going over it. And since our brain keeps going over it, it just seems like it doesn't end. So I think that's probably what happens and it stops us. But yeah, Yeah. it it definitely applies in our house as well and our families and at church and all the different things.
1: Yeah. So here's some fun ones. When I was thinking through this process and getting ready to write the book, I was playing with the 80, 20 principle because I'm like, it applies in everything. Well, I mean, you can look at your life and say, okay, I guarantee you that 20% of the rooms in your house, you spend 80% of the time in. It's probably your bedroom, your kitchen and your bathroom. I mean, that's really the way it is. But I did this with, I asked my daughter, I said, okay, I said, Brooke, how many sh- pairs of shoes do you have? She's 13. So now she's getting a lot of shoes. And she's like, oh, I have, she kind of know, but she's like, it was 10 or 11. And I go, do you wear two of them most of the time? She's like, yeah. And I was like, yes, 80, 20 again. And she's like, you're weird, dad. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I, I text my wife one day, you know, my family owns a restaurant, my wife's parents own a restaurant. And I said, I said, hey, Lace, how many employees do you have? And I think it was like 22 or 18 or something like that. And I said, would it be fair to say that four of them cause most of the problems? And she kind of laughed and she's like, yeah. And then I said, okay, so of those four, would it be fair to say that one of those creates most of those problems? And she laughed and she goes, Yep, so and so, and listed the name. And it's like, like, and again, I'm like, yes, 80 20. And she looked at me and she's like, you're so weird. But it's like, you can try it on anything. You know, it's like, it's kind of fun to do. It's interesting how it's just this principle, it's this like eternal law. And, And okay, sometimes I think it's important to say, sometimes it ends up being 90 10, sometimes it ends up being 25 75. Like, it's not exactly 80 20 all the time, but the idea behind it is that the a small portion of the input creates a large portion of the output. And you're right. Whether that's in your life, in your family, in your business, at church, in you know, the books you read, like all of those things, most of the output comes from 20% of the input. If you went through my books, I guarantee you that you could say that 20% or less of the book is highlighted. You know, any book I read, you know, there's that 20% that you're like, oh, this is most important. Ooh, this is most important. And that's just the way it is. And I think the minute that we realize that in our lives. Things can change because, like you said at the beginning, I mean, we think that things are equal, but they're not. You know, one of the things Perry Marshall talks about in his book is this idea that, you know, when we look and say, oh, I make this much a month or whatever, and then we break that down by hour, in our mind, we say, oh, every hour of my day is worth $16.50 or $22.50. Well, that's not true. Some of those hours are worth like 50 cents because you're like standing at the water cooler getting a drink of water or something. And others of those hours are worth like $100 an hour because you're actually doing the work you need to do. And it's the same with our tasks. You know, we don't, mm-hmm. I'm guilty of this. You know, I'm guilty of, of looking in and saying, oh, okay, well, I get paid this much per client and I spend this many hours with them. So, you know, I make about this much an hour. That's not true. Like I make way more an hour and it's way more valuable when I'm actually face to face with them, coaching them. than in the times where I'm answering an email or I'm, you know, doing some sort of admin work related to it. And it's important for us to remember that because we focus on the wrong things when we think everything is equal and everything matters the
0: same. Yeah. I was actually just reminded about the story. I have no idea if the story was true or not, but it shows a good principle. And I I don't, it doesn't directly relate to this. So we're probably, I don't know this may not even make it on the podcast (laughs) <laughs> but, but talking about like, okay, how much is an hour worth? Mm-hmm. I remember there was this kid that went to his dad and asked if he can borrow $25. And the dad, normal dad is like, why do you need $25? I'm not gonna give you $25. And so kind of turned him down and the kid went mm-hmm. away sad. So later that night, the kid was already in bed. He, and the dad came in. He's like, Okay, I'm sorry, I kinda overreacted. So I can go ahead. Here's twenty five dollars. And mm-hmm. and it kind of went through with that. The boy, he was excited. He ran over, grabbed his piggy bank and dumped it out. He had all this change and $1 bills and all that crumpled up and he got it. He's like, okay, good. And, or, oh, I, I forgot one thing. So before he even asked for the $25, he asked his dad how much he made an hour at his work. Hmm. And again, he's like, okay, well, it's kind of weird. And he said, I make $50 an hour. And so that's what prompted the boy to ask for 25. Because then when he got all that money on his bed in front of his dad, he says, here's $50. Can you come home an hour early so we can be able to spend time together? And I mean, as a dad, that kind of broke my heart. <laughs> and I've <I'm> even <laughs> started to tear up a little bit right now. But I mean that, yeah. that whole principle of not every hour is worth the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes we get ourselves into trouble if we start trying to evaluate, okay, exactly what is our time worth? Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, then I'm gonna spend time on what makes me money as yeah. opposed to but the, the bigger picture, what is most important? It's like, yeah, spending time with your son, spending time with your family. You don't make money doing that. I mean, unless you're the Kardashians or someone. But most of us don't get paid to spend time with our family. Sure. So when you look at it on a monetary level, it can look like it's not worth it. It doesn't mm-hmm. make the cut. But- there's a, an importance there anyway. Yeah.
1: I think that applies really well because you know, the subtitle of my book is the six figure business owners guide to more focus, greater results and more time. And you know, it's interesting because the entire books about the 80, 20 principle and finding your 20, but really what it comes down to for me is I've seen so many business owners that get to that six figure level and they've actually created just a really constrictive job for themselves. You know, they've got to the point where they have enough sales, they have enough clients and they're doing all of these things. And now they're saying this isn't even fun anymore. Like I don't get to spend the time that I wanted to spend. I don't get to do the things that I wanted to do. And really my goal with this book is to help business owners to create a business that serves them rather than being a slave to their business, because so many business owners get to that point and they do exactly that exactly what you're talking about, where it's like, well, I have to do this. I have to do this. And it's like this hamster wheel of, I have to make more money because I have more employees or I have this, or my family needs this, or, you know, my kids are, you know, Doing whatever. I mean, my daughter's getting ready to start playing club soccer, and it's like, man, that's going to be another $500. That's awesome. You know, so we get in this mindset of I have to do these things. But my goal with this book is if you can identify the most important things you're doing at work. You don't have to be at work as long. You can create the life that you want to create. And I'm, I'm talking specifically to business owners, but it applies to employees and everybody else, too. I mean, if you can be more efficient, you can have greater results and you can create more time. And that's really what it comes down to for me is helping business owners to do that. That's really the value. The Find Your 20 principle, I mean, the you know process is, is really just a tool to do it. You know, We've talked about all these different books that hit at it in various different ways, but to me, it's really... How do you create that life that you wanted when you started your business? You know, how do you, how do you create the time? How do you create the lifestyle that you want? And if you can get 80% of the results working 20% of the time or 80% of the results in 50% of the time, that's better than for me personally, than a hundred percent of the results in a hundred percent of the time, because my family is important. My hobbies are important. The things I want to do outside of work. I mean, that's why we create businesses. We don't create businesses. We don't say, I want to create a business so I can work 60 hours a week. Like, that's not That's <laughs> not why. It's, I want to have this lifestyle. I want to be able to do this for my kids. I want to be able to spend time with my kids you really identify what's super important. When Suzanne and I went through this process initially, one of the things that I didn't put in the book because it was kind of outside of the realm of, of what the book is about. I actually teach it in the retreats that I do around this. But the first thing that we did with her was I said, okay, when you started your business, what did you want? Like, well, why did you do it? And it was, it was so fun because Suzanne's comment was, I just wanted to pay one of our family's bills. And I'm like, Suzanne, you have like a hundred thousand dollar business like t- selling curriculum. You are way past that. But you know, she's like, Well, I wanted to be able to, you know, have some time freedom. I wanted to be able to, you know, spend time with my kids. And and she identified all these things that she wanted from her business. And I said, Okay, now identify now look at it and say, what have you gotten? And for her, it was really cool. Like she'd accomplished most of those things. And she was able to have the life that she wanted from her business. But at the same time, her and I had been talking, and over the summer, she had been really focused on getting her high school Spanish curriculum going and membership. And at the end of the summer, she said, I didn't have the summer I wanted to have. And I'm like, then that's a problem. Like, we need to focus on that. We need to make sure that you keep in front of you, why are you doing this? Why is it important for you to identify the 20%? Why is it important for you to be more efficient, to make more sales? And that's the part that I'm really excited about is helping business owners do that. 80-20 principle is the, the mechanism to do that, but it really is about how can you have, I talk about this in the book, you know, we always talk about this whole results, not typical thing. Like you always hear that, that disclaimer everywhere. Results, not typical, results, not typical. And I have to put it in the book because when Suzanne and I started working together uh, after our first call, I gave her an idea, which was that high school Spanish membership. She'd been really resistant to memberships. She's like, I don't like memberships. I don't like charging people every month. I don't think it's fair. And I'm like, yeah, but not everybody's like you. <laughs> and we essentially convinced her that this is a good idea. And some people would prefer to just have access to everything. Thing, pay a flat fee every month, and they can just go at their own pace. They can have more than one kid. They can do all these things. So we started this membership. She generated $19,000 in three days by selling this. And so in the book, I'm like, okay, results not typical. I can't promise you that you're going to make $19,000 for reading this book. I think it's possible. I think you definitely can have some great results when you focus on 80-20, but I can't guarantee that. But then as I, it was literally as I was writing that part of the book that I started thinking, I'm like, what would it be like if results not typical is goes from being a disclaimer in your life to being your way of life. What if your way of life was, I have not typical results. I do things that people think are crazy. You know, and, and we see people all the time where it's like, how the heck are they doing that? A good friend of mine who he's worked really hard to build up his financial services business. And now he's to the point where he's like, he works three days a week. And those days he works like five hours. And so many people are like, oh, he doesn't do anything. But it's like he put in the work and he focused on what was important. And now he can have the life that he wants. He can go and he's really into photography. So he can travel and he can go take pictures of, uh, you know, Zion National Park. He and I were there over the the Christmas holiday. He invited us to come down with his family and we hiked around Zion. And we went to Costa Rica and he can do all these things because he's created a business and a life where results not typical isn't the disclaimer. It's the way of life. It's the way that he lives because he's put in the work, because he's found that 20%. And that's really what the book's about. I mean, we've talked about strategies and tactics and exercises, but really it's about helping, you know, business owners and people of all walks of life to identify what's important in their life and then create the space to be able to have it. And that's really what's important to me.
0: That is awesome. So as we wrap up here, what would be the best way for someone to be able to get a hold of you and or the book?
1: Well, can I be nice and give something away?
0: I suppose. Okay. We can be nice.
1: Okay. So first off, findyour20.com. You can buy the book. You can go to Amazon. It's on Amazon. It's on Audible. You can spend a credit on Audible if you want. You can spend, I think it's $14.95 on Amazon and and that's totally fine. And I'll get a commission from that. That's great. Or my website, you can get the book for $9.95. So it's cheaper there. So findyour20.com. You can't get the book. But one of the things I do in the book is I give away the audio for free. And I would love to just give that to your audience. So you don't even have to get the book if you don't want to. You can go to findyour20.com forward slash audio and you can download the audio for free just shoot your email in there and i'll send you an email with a a zip file that has all the files and you can listen away but if you want to buy a copy feel free
0: i'll definitely make sure to have links as well in there to be able to make that easier i'm looking forward to being able to hear back hopefully from people that are able to implement this and be able to do that so definitely hoping that that takes place. So anyway.
1: <laughs> and if anybody has any feedback or thoughts on this, like, please feel free to email me at marketfindyour20.com. I love hearing about it. I know Josh, you and I have talked about this before, but it's so interesting. I have made so many connections with people that were on a podcast that I listen to because they're like, oh, just email me. And I'm like, and I email them and they're like, man, nobody does that. Like literally 20% of the people that listen will email me or less, but I really mean it. Like shoot me an email. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you think of this interview. Let me know what you think of the book. I just love hearing these stories and supporting however I can. You know, I'll, I'll finish by sharing something I share in the book. And I, I've shared a lot in the last year or so. But a year ago, I was trying to figure out how I could make a bigger impact in my business. I was like, I just want to serve more people. I want to help more people. You know, I had Christian faith background and that's important, you know, service and helping people. And so I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking about it. I'm praying about it. I'm like, man, how do I serve more people? How do I serve more people? And the thought came into my mind and it was one of those dumb moments. I don't know if you ever have those, but it's like, that was easy. And the thought that came into my mind was if you want to serve more people, just serve more people. And I was like... <laughs> Well, that was easy. <laughs> so that's really my focus. And that's why I say email me. If you have questions, if you're curious about how to apply this in your life, if you have some feedback, please email me. I would love to hear about it. I love having those conversations with people.
0: Make sure to follow or subscribe to this podcast and you're a podcast player of choice so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions or comments or you want more productivity resources, visit crushingtheclock.com. I would love to hear from you. And I'll catch you on the next episode of Crushing the Clock.